It takes faith to believe that there's a God who hears you in that quietness. That's why it's so scary, isn't it? Because when you bow your heads and, and your hearts to pray, there's that part of you like, I wonder if someone's really there. But he's there and he hears. The Bible tells us he keeps the prayers of the saints in golden bowls before his altar. We should be a, an entire church of prayer. Imagine the transformation that could happen if all of us just started praying more. As we've gone through Revelation 2 and 3, we've seen Jesus do a forensic analysis of the seven churches there. Our case study series was extraordinarily illuminating for us. We got a chance to see what Jesus values and what he's concerned about in each of the churches. To close out this series, Pastor Daniel will be applying Jesus' checklist to the Christian church today. In doing so, we'll get a chance to learn about where God's leading us in the communities we serve. The Lord's message is clear. Transform my world. And so for today, I really believe Jesus' message for us has been for some time that his diagnosis is to transform my world. God is in the process of transforming our community, and our world. And he wants us to link up hands with that. And God is using us in some very special ways. Now remember, for all the seven letters, there's the same checklist. And I'm going to use the same basic outline for my message today. The checklist, each one of those letters begins with the revelation. Jesus is saying, this is who I am. And we keep saying that Jesus' desire is to reveal himself in and through a church, a local expression of Church with a big C, the universal body of Christ. And so to each church, Jesus is revealing himself in unique ways given what's going on. After the revelation, there's the good. This is what you do well. This is what I commend in who you are. But Jesus being very balanced in his case study of each church, not only is there the good, there's the bad. This is your growing edges. And no doubt as a church, a crossroads, we have those as well. We would love for it not to be so, but it is. We're in process. God's working on all of us together. So there's things that we have to grow in as well. Then, of course, there's the challenge. Jesus doesn't just say, okay, this is what's good, this is what's bad, okay. He says, look, I challenge you. I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to simply respond to me. So there's the challenge. And then after the challenge, of course, is the promise. And so I'm going to take each one of those for us as a church body So the revelation for us is quite simply that Jesus is real. Jesus is real. This is who we are as a body. It was funny, as I was praying about this, it was like I had all these great and poetic things to say about who Jesus is. And Jesus is like, Daniel, man, I'm just, I'm real and I am in your midst. And that's the beauty of who Jesus is. Jesus exists at street level for each one of us. I don't know all the circumstances of all of our lives, but wherever you are, Jesus is right there at your street level, right in the center of your circumstances, right in the center of the pain, 
the vulnerabilities, the fears, the victories. Jesus is right there at street level. And we're seeing this week in and week out. This reality that Jesus is street level for all of us, no matter how long or short you've been walking with the Lord, no matter how strongly or weakly you feel you've been walking with the Lord, Jesus is right there at street level for you. And because Jesus is real, we started with the why. Because he's real, we're a family of faith, fully engaged transforming our community and our world. This is the vision that drives who we are. It's who we've always been. But it's all because of the reality of Jesus. Because no matter where you are, Jesus is right there if you will turn to him. He is right there with you. And I don't know what's gone on to bring you here this morning, but he's right there. And because he's real, we're not just individuals, but we're a family of faith. And like any family, we're all a little bit dysfunctional. God's work on all of us. We're all quirky. Some of us more than others. But we're a family of faith. And we're not just a family of faith, but we're a fully engaged family of faith, which means that there's purpose and role for each one of us within that family. None of us are just, well, yeah, I'm just a hanger on in the family. God wants us all engaged in the work of ministry as a family. And because Jesus is real and we're a family of faith and we're fully engaged, we're transforming our community and our world. As God is transforming us, we are now passing that transformation along. Like we like to say here a lot, transformed people transform people. None of us exist in a vacuum. How you live and move in this world impacts everything. That's just not some sort of deluded self-grandeur. That's just the way it is. The way you carry yourself at your job affects your job. Not only your performance, but the morale of the people around you. Do our actions draw people closer to God or farther away? The number one reason people say they don't believe in Jesus is because they don't like Christians. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. So as a church, Jesus is real in our midst. It makes me think of Matthew chapter 28. We're going to flip around the Bible today. We don't normally do the Bible cardio, as I like to call it. You get to work out the, your pages in your Bible. But turn there with me. Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20. This is commonly called the Great Commission. It's the last statement of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. He's commissioning his disciples to go be a part of his kingdom being ushered in. Listen to what it says. And Jesus came and spoke to them, speaking of his disciples, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Now notice, Jesus bookends his commissioning of the disciples with two statements. One is that all authority is his in heaven and on earth. That Jesus reigns supreme over the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And then he ends it with, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. By saying, look, no matter where you go, no matter how much time passes, I am real. And I am with you. My presence is available to you. So he has all authority and he is ever present. And then in the middle, we have the commissioning. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all these things I command you. So there's four main verbs here. Going, making disciples, 
baptizing and teaching. Now, what's interesting is one of those verbs is in the imperative, and then three of those verbs are what they would call a subordinate clause. Now, I know you guys all took Greek 101 and 102. I know you guys got that. But one is the main point, and then there's three things that undergird that point. And you know what the main point is? Make disciples. And we make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. So because Jesus is real, we are in the disciple-making business. And a disciple is simply a learner, a follower. For those of you who like Star Wars, a Padawan of Jesus. And each one of us are called to be Padawans of that prophet from Nazareth, Jesus, the Son of God. And we do that by going. So wherever you are, you're going there. So if you go to the store, if you go across the county, you go across the nation, you go across the globe... We should, everywhere we are, we should be making disciples because he's got all the authority and he's always with us. We do it by baptizing and then we teach. There's a message of Jesus. It's not just a concept. There's a teaching involved and that teaching primarily involves loving God and loving your neighbor. And how do we do that? That's the message that we have to carry. You've heard me say many times that we all need to find our sweet spot, right? Now, if you're going to be willing to teach it, you have to be willing to accept that. And so I've also challenged our staff, if this is not you in your sweet spot, I want you to take a step of faith. See, for me, I believe that going forward, we're going to have a lot of staff changes. Because when I read the New Testament, when I read the book of Acts, these guys were moving all over the place. I mean, it's amazing. You read Paul's letter. He's like, I'm going here. I'm going here. Hey, have this person come meet me here. Because if we're willing to say, Lord, I want to be right in the center of where you have me, Oftentimes, that means a step of faith. But you know what? I'm not scared of that because as a church, we hold everybody with open hands. We say, Lord, for a season, if someone's going to be here, great. And people are going to move on. And we're going to hug each other and we say, God bless you. And we're going to send people out all over the place. We want everyone in their sweet spot. We want everyone in their sweet spot. One of the ways Jesus has been real lately is we're seeing a lot of people give their lives to Jesus. Some of you today are going to give your lives to Jesus. New birth is exciting. But you know what also, Jesus is real? So many people are taking the next steps with Jesus. We celebrate that as a church. There are people stepping into ministry for the very first time. That's so exciting. People in bondage to different things are saying, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I mean, how cool is that? But Jesus is so real. God is doing such an extraordinary work in our midst. So Jesus is real. That's his revelation for us. And he's not even close to being done. We're going to see Jesus be real in radical new ways. Now, the good, the good. Turn with me to John chapter 4. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth gospel. John chapter 4. Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well in verse 23 and 24. He says this in verse 23. It says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We are a spirit and truth community. This is what we do well. We are a spirit and truth community community. You notice that Jesus said there, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
Now, when it says worship him in spirit, of course, that's talking about inspired by the Holy Spirit. That God wants us to have the Spirit of God pull worship out of the depths of our soul. To me, true spirit-filled worship has nothing to do with people running up and down the aisles, although some people might. It has nothing to do with everybody raising their hands. It has to do with each person being comfortable in their own skin to be how the Spirit of God inspires them. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we do not demand that everybody function in them in the same way. We do not try and contrive the Spirit. We simply allow. Some of you are hand raisers. Some of you are weepers. It's okay. Some of you are hands in your pocket and wouldn't cry if I made you cry. Just choke it back. And you know what? The Spirit of God likes all of it. We don't make it up. We don't try and drum it up. Because if you try and drum it up, then you're always drumming it up. The day you don't do that thing, then all of a sudden it's like, something's wrong. Did the Spirit leave the building? No, see? We're a spirit and truth community. We're a Bible community. We've always been, and we always will be. We love God's Word. We believe that God's Word is truth. And we say every day, Lord, will you conform our lives to your Word? And that is something I pray that we'll always do well, that we'll always be open to the gifts of the Spirit. We'll be willing for the Spirit to talk to us, to minister through us, that we would be a complete body with all the gifts that work together. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, the, the fivefold ministries of apostles and evangelists and prophets and pastors and teachers, we'd have all of that going on. And we do. That's a beautiful part of it in our midst. But we're always going to be rooted in the Bible. I think of Jesus who said, you do error because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. And that's an interesting distinction. We need to know both the scriptures and the power of God. I've heard it said this way, that if you have the spirit without the word, you blow up. If you have the word without the spirit, you dry up. If you have the spirit and the word, you grow up. We like both. We want to grow up. We don't want to be, we got the Bible, but we don't like the Holy Spirit, so we are crusty Bible thumpers. If you're really in the Bible and the Spirit of God is at work, you're going to be more loving than you've ever been, not less loving. You're going to address people who you don't agree with theologically with more grace and humility than less because Jesus talks about these things. And we, and we know the Word is important. But we don't want to be the kind of people also who are just we're so into the Spirit that we don't ever check it against the Bible and we end up off in some all these other crazy things. You blow up. We want the Spirit and the Word together. Now, I know you guys are like, I hope that we're like Smyrna or Philadelphia where there's nothing bad said. But I love you guys too much to not go there with you. So I believe that for us, our bad looks like this. We need to learn how to trust God with a ruthless trust. We need to learn how to trust God with a ruthless trust. A ruthless trust. Now, you notice that's not actually negative, but it's something that this side of heaven, we all struggle with. We all struggle. I like to say it this way. You know what the problem with walking by faith is? You got to walk by faith. That's the problem with it. Walking by faith is not walking by sight or understanding. It's trusting in the biblical God. And every single one of us, the most 
faith-filled person here still struggles in different areas of their lives to trust God with a ruthless trust. To be so committed to trusting God that every time a doubt or every time a fear comes in, we just push it away. But we need to trust him with a ruthless trust. One of the ways I believe we need to trust God is in prayer. How many of us struggle to pray? Yeah, that's honest. Yeah, I'm there with you. The most vibrant churches in America are prayer-saturated places. And I believe that as a church, we struggle to corporately pray together. We have some faithful brothers and sisters who pray, but it's amazing in a church of many thousand how you only have handfuls of people. I believe that what God wants to do, the way he wants to impact this community, it's not going to come from great programs. It's going to come from us on our knees of our hearts, individually and corporately. But I want to encourage you. Say, Lord, make me a man, a woman of prayer. Make this house a house of prayer. You know why I believe prayer is a faith walk? Because the most scary thing is when you shut your eyes and bow your head and bend your knees or on the knees of your heart, it takes faith to believe that there's a God who hears you in that quietness. And that's why it's so scary, isn't it? Because when you bow your heads and, and your hearts to pray, there's that part of you like, I wonder if someone's really there. But he's there and he hears. The Bible tells us he keeps the prayers of the saints in golden bowls before his altar. We should be a, an entire church of prayer. Imagine the transformation that could happen if all of us just started praying more. Because prayer is not where we get our will done in heaven. Prayer is where we link up hands with God to get his will done on earth. And that's what we really want, isn't it? We want to appropriate the heart of God so that we move into the world in such a way that we are agents of grace, agents of love. In prayer, our prejudices are dispelled. In prayer, our judgments are done away with. In prayer, lovelessness becomes fullness of love. In prayer, joy is appropriated. Peace is appropriated. They're not human. They're divine. They're given to us as a gift by the Holy Spirit. So I want to just encourage you, just take the next step with God in prayer. Just say, Lord, I don't ever pray. Teach me how to pray for five minutes, Lord. Lord, teach me how to pray in that next step. Teach me how to, to not only ask for things, but to worship in prayer. However the Lord leads you. It makes me think of Acts chapter 13. Turn there with me. So if you're in John 4, turn over to your right. The book of Acts is the next book. Acts chapter 13. In the first three verses of Acts chapter 13, we learn about the church in Antioch. Look at what it says. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. In the middle of verse 1, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who was, had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, notice, listen to this, verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord... And fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. You notice it's the church at Antioch. They ministered to who? To the Lord. And they did it through prayer and fasting. See, prayer is ministry is unto the Lord. It's service is unto the Lord. And as they ministered and fasted, the Lord said, Look, I want you to take Barnabas and Saul and separate them for the work of the ministry. And did they just go do it? No, they fasted and prayed more. And then they laid hands on Saul and Barnabas and sent them out. And the rest of the book of Acts is about their ministry and then focusing more on Paul than Barnabas. 
I believe that us taking the next steps with the Lord comes from prayer because in prayer, all of a sudden, God says, I want you to separate this person for this work. This person now realizes that they're not called to do what they're doing, but they're called to do something else. What's amazing is we can do more together than we can do separate anyway. A unified church across denominational lines is a force to be reckoned with. When we say Jesus is what holds us together, even though maybe we don't prefer each other's styles in other ways, Jesus is who binds us together. So one way is prayer. Second way, of course, is giving, is giving. Now, as a church, I don't know what anyone gives here, but I know that there is somebody who does know, and that's the Lord. And for those of you who give so faithfully, I want to thank you for that. God knows, and he sees. For those of you who aren't giving, I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to begin to give. I think of, of course, in the book of Exodus, chapter 36, I'm just going to reference it. When they went to make the tabernacle and build the tabernacle, the people gave free will offerings so much that Moses had to tell them to stop. We have too much because God had moved on their hearts in such a way to provide. Now, I believe giving is an opportunity of grace. I believe that grace prompts giving. How do, why do I believe that? Because of John 3.16. Because for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten son. True love gives. So I believe giving is a means of grace. It's a response to Jesus. And so for those of you who are giving, praise God. For those of you who aren't, I want to encourage you, take a step of faith. And so my prayer for us is that we trust God with a ruthless trust. I realize it's a lot easier to save your pennies or spend on things when we don't know tomorrow. That's one of the fears of living this side of what was the roughest economy in the last hundred years next to the Great Depression. It's so much easier to hoard it than to give it. But again, we trust in the biblical God, and we want to trust him with a ruthless trust. So with our giving, I believe God just wants to do something extraordinarily special. Finally, the promise. God will do exceedingly abundantly. That's God's promise to us. God will do exceedingly abundantly. I take that right out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 tells us this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I believe God's promise to you and I is that he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. I like to say it this way. God wants to blow our minds. God wants to completely revolutionize the way we view our own lives, the way we view the world that we live in, and the reasons and purposes that we're here today. I believe God wants to do such a profound work in us and through us and to the world. I believe we can't even fathom the tip of the iceberg about what God wants to do. Jesus is real. 
I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus at Israel Radio. It's exciting to me that you would take the time to listen to this. It is my distinct hope that each one of us would simply respond to Jesus. That's a big idea for me, for Crossroads Community Church, and for Jesus Israel Radio, that each one of us would meet with Jesus what I like to say, at street level. Because Jesus is right where you are. He is right there in the middle of your situation and in the middle of your circumstances. Jesus is right there. And Jesus wants each one of us to learn how to simply respond to him. What that means is that at every moment, Jesus prompts us and we take that step. And it's my hope for you as you're listening to this program that you would find yourself each day simply responding to Jesus more and more. You'll become more loving, more kind, more gracious, more generous, not just financially, but in every single area of your life. You find yourself desiring to serve others and not just hoping that everyone is there to serve you. When we simply respond to Jesus, we become closer and closer and closer to who God created us to be. And so we say that Jesus is real and he is and he exists right where you are and he is inviting you to partner with him in recreating the world. So Jesus wants to change the world and he is looking for available people, people like you and like me. So please, as you listen, simply respond to Jesus and engage yourself in the work of God's kingdom in your community and your world. God bless you so much.